Hi, I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus, and you're listening to Indestructible. If you enjoyed this show, please share, subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thanks for listening. Hi, thanks for joining us for Indestructible, the podcast connected to the show created by Proteus and touring nationally in 2024. I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus and Director and Writer of Indestructible, the show. My guest for this edition is Chloe Silvestri. Chloe Silvestri is a creative producer and project manager in the arts, focusing on public outreach and community engagement. She works with international institutions, artist studios, local communities and schools to create alternative, challenging and dynamic cultural projects for a globally diverse audience. Chloe's also been acting as advisor for us on Indestructible, talking about the contemporary art world and talking about the roles of curators and gallerists within that. So welcome, Chloe. Thanks for joining us. It's really nice. It's really nice <laughs> so can you just explain a little bit more about what you do in the arts world? Because you've got a really wide and varying job career path all that stuff but sort of what your what your main areas have been because it's a little bit different from being just a curator isn't it you do a lot more than that yeah I actually work with curators but I'm more the person who gets things done on a practical level so yeah I'm referred to as a creative producer or project manager and I basically oversee the development and execution of contemporary art projects, so whether it be exhibitions or installations, commissions, performances, events. And I really enjoy that I work from start to finish on a project in the sense that I'm usually involved in the initial conversations, maybe with an institution and an artist and a curator already, where there is an idea that we want to collaborate with an artist or an institution and start developing how we can go about doing that. And I'm able to kind of contribute from a creative side in the discussion to also a very practical, technical side on how we will actually get things done. So working on budgets, logistics, technicalities, legal stuff, planning. And then when the work is actually up, depending on where it is, if it's a temporary installation, for example, I'm also involved in how to deinstall the work and also the afterlife of the work if it's maybe going on to another temporary location or a permanent space or taking a whole new form somewhere else. So, yeah. <laughs> so is it, it's actually not, it, it is, you know, as you say, the term creative producer, I mean, in theatre, certainly that's very much the role of a producer in theatre. So it's a really similar way of working isn't it was supporting that project and the artist and as you say logistics in in so many ways and do you find working with institutions and artists what what are the kind of main problems you have to iron out with this sort of stuff yeah I definitely think there are a lot of strong personalities involved uh artists themselves in general it's really interesting working with them and they all do have very different personalities and I think it's maybe a particular role where their job is to basically be themselves. There's no filter or like maybe level of professionalism or things like that, that they are driven by. It's more about their practice and actually how they operate on a day-to-day -day basis. So there is a constant juggle to 
ensure that the work itself and the people involved are being supported fully and they all feel like they are, but that you can also get things done. That's actually a part of my job that I really enjoy is constantly being that first point of contact and middle person, working with an institution, working with artists, working with studios and assistants and technicians and kind of getting everybody to constantly focus on the same goal because everybody has their own stakes in it in a way and everybody's coming at it from a different angle and it's uh, I think one of the aspects of my role that is continuous throughout the process is constantly reminding everybody that we're in this together and that it's not uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, headbutting a uh, competitive ego uh, <laughs> battle. So um, yeah, there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of moments where it's just important to take a step back and remind ourselves that we're not, you know, saving lives. And it's good to be able to laugh about things and just, yeah, never, never let things take you completely spiraling out of uh... yeah <laughs> no I could I could sympathize with that I think it's it's really true actually because I think you know visual artists are sort of more they're unique in that sense that all the work is personal isn't it there's nothing that's not personal about the work of a visual artist whereas I think for us you know making theater pieces or whatever where someone else has written it or you know if it's about something else you can take a step back but I can imagine it's really difficult especially if that artist feels it's not going the way they want or and when you when you're dealing with institutions and i know you've worked across private galleries as well as museums and institutions it would just be interesting one of the things we touch on in the show is around that world the art world and and that difference between private galleries and museums and how artists get their work into museums where we're more likely to encounter it what what's been your experience of that journey and is that any easier or harder or how does that work now I mean I think a lot of it is about networking and relationships there are so many artists out there in the world and part of this whole discussion and the play is also about there might be a successful artist or an artist with an incredible body of work who just hasn't gotten the recognition that maybe is deserved that is always going to be the case because there are only so many institutions and so many platforms to showcase artists. So a huge part of being a successful artist is very much about being able to play that game in a way. Of course, there has to be a level of sincerity where people are developing relationships with curators and directors and museum directors and different artists and studios. And that has to feel genuine. But, you know, I know a lot of artists where that really goes out of their comfort level where they're very introverted and they know they have to do it, but it's just so outside of what they would like to be doing. They'd rather just be locked away somewhere. And I think there are certain artists who surround themselves with the right people, whether it be gallery representatives or studios, assistants, studio managers who understand that and support them and are able to be the, the face for them to help facilitate those relationships and make projects happen. But yeah, I mean, that's also a constant challenge, even when you do have that relationship with an artist, when you've had those meetings, when you've confirmed that you're doing a project together. There are so many stages throughout that where you constantly need to be in contact because things are really developing up until the day a work is 
or an exhibition is shown to the public. And there are a lot of artists who are maybe very present in that moment. But then when you have a lot of other aspects of the project you're trying to develop or confirm or sign off on, it can be really challenging to get a hold of the artist. A lot of things can get on hold. So that is something that is constantly a challenge as well. And part of my role is to make sure there are lines of communication and ways to kind of anticipate making decisions, even if we can't get a hold of the artist, for example. Yeah, because it is a business, isn't it? I mean, this is... The, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and an artist essentially, I guess, more than any other art form, artists working in other art forms, you know, for visual art, I guess you have to be your own your own small business in in that sense of promoting yourself and all that stuff. But it's, yeah, really interesting. And for you in terms of what drives the tastes or the contemporary art world at the moment, does that sort of fluctuate a lot? Is it, are there trends? Are there things, people who suddenly everyone's buying a certain kind of work in a certain art form or do you see that happening? Absolutely. I think there are always specific artists that you see emerging as like the new artists to keep an eye out on or different forms of, you know, work. So whether it be maybe performance is a big focus all of a sudden or, you know, photography or documentary or um, there are definitely themes, I would say, like, you know, in any visual art-based world, I think um, you see that also in fashion and design and things like that. I would say that within the contemporary art world, you can notice influences both on what's maybe more aesthetically appealing um, at that time, but also a huge impact on that is also what's happening politically, globally, you know, um, where the focus is, what kind of stories are being told and why we are interested in finding more about those specific stories, those voices, those demographics. So that is definitely constantly shifting. I think I definitely notice that for sure. Even if you look at the programming of museums globally, you kind of can see a lot of artists will shift from one institution to another during a specific period of time because all of a sudden the attention is on them. And then have institutions who intentionally veer away from that and try and actively seek out completely different forms of work or different artists who are not at all in the spotlight yet. Yeah. The Indestructible podcast was produced for Proteus Theatre by the brilliant team at Creative Kin. Getting the right people behind your podcast is so important and Creative Kin were a great choice to make our show. If you're an ambitious brand keen to expand your reach, go to creativekin.co.uk forward slash launch to find out how you can reach a new audience. I mean, one of the inspirations for us with Indestructible, certainly for the character of Catherine Shaw, the central character is that She's a fictional member of the Young British Artists, the YBA movement in the 90s. And we were talking about in sort of popular culture in Britain, it it feels like that moment hasn't happened again in the visual arts, that when you look back on it, it's such an extraordinary thing that that catapulted Damien Hirst and Tracy Emin and all those people. Is it an anomaly that, or is that something that you could see happening again where visual artists would suddenly become essentially overnight household names? I feel like 
that can be reproduced and has kind of happened again, but maybe not. I think that group of artists really all came from the same school at a specific period of time. And it was directly linked to a show where that was gaining a specific amount of attention, where specific gallerists and art dealers were actively going to that show specifically to look for the next artist. And I think it was maybe like a perfect storm there of the program at the time, the artists at the time, the galleries at the time who were willing to kind of offer opportunities to artists in that way that doesn't happen as frequently now. Galleries as well, it's a business. It's very much motivated by money. I think a lot of art dealers are less willing to take that much of a risk on artists and immediately kind of represent them and support them in that way, maybe. And I think that goes also back to just developing these relationships between the artists and the gallerists. You know, I think it's things that happen over time. I know a lot of artists who even are from that movement who actually don't really want any, any major representation because they want to be in charge of their own work and how it's seen in the world and how it's sold. I think that YBA movement, it's very much a part of its time and a certain situation. And while I think that even now you see certain groups of artists emerging and getting attention and you can see commonalities between their career and their backgrounds. It's not so much like, you know, all artists from the specific location and the specific age group. And I don't think that's so much a thing that we see now. Yeah. Yeah. And for you working as a woman in the contemporary art world, how has that been? Is that, are there a, a lot of female curators, gallerists, producers in your position or have you seen that get better how has that journey been I would say actually in the art world in terms of archivists and curators and maybe studio assistants there are a lot of women and then more in terms of like museum directors actual artists themselves it's certainly more male dominated for me because I I work a lot with the technical side of things. So I work a lot with technicians, installers, and I would say 98% of those people identify as male. So that is always interesting. It's not necessarily a constant challenge I face in my role, but there are definitely a lot of moments where there is still this really stereotypical mindset of because I'm a woman, I'm not going to understand technical aspects of how to make a work or, you know, really practical elements. It is something that I, you know, have to laugh about because it's a coping mechanism. But it is also something that is, yeah, unfortunately, still very omnipresent in a lot of aspects of my work. So. And do you feel in terms of female artists, because again, central to the show is around this idea of female artists being so underrepresented and even those that are relatively successful are not as remembered or lauded as much as the men around them. Do you feel that situation is changing or do you think it's still really hard as a contemporary female artist? I do think there's still very much a challenge there. Mm. I think when you see programming and institutions where there are more women it's usually part of a group show that's showcasing women artists I wish I could remember where I heard this or read this but there was someone made a point about that saying why do we have exhibitions where it's like 
artists from this era or something, and then you just have female artists from this era. Why is that a subcategory? And I think that just highlights how much even, broadly speaking, the art world still considers artists as a very specific group of people. And then every other category is then identified, um, whether it be culturally or how they identify, you know, as a male or female, etc. And I think that just highlights that there's still very much a, a challenge there. And Within the art world itself, there are more female artists who have opportunities and who are established and able to be successful as an artist, but not necessarily known widely for their work. So that is still very much a challenge. And when you look at artist collections, uh, museum collections, the percentage of artists who are female or from different backgrounds is still like just alarmingly low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is quite disheartening, isn't it? There's a statistic in the play that we use around work that the Gorilla Girls had done in 2020. And, and I think it's something like 1% of one of the major museums they looked at. It was still only 1% of the works were by women. And this is not really an excuse, is there? Because actually sort of it felt to me like sort of latterly that there's been an uncovering of female artists who have been working throughout history, but perhaps in eras around the sort of 18th century or whatever, the, the work they were allowed to make is perhaps a little limited. But since then, there isn't really much of an excuse. But do you think is it a vicious cycle then that because the, the museums and the institutions aren't showing works by female artists that female artists aren't getting bought, which would then feed that being put in a museum? Does it work that way? Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're saying, is, it's definitely part of it where there was a period in which artists who weren't white men weren't getting the opportunity to even be considered as an artist, to even consider that as a career, to even have access to materials and opportunities that would enable them to explore that side of them at all. And that has certainly changed. However, there is still this wider perception of what an artist is and who we take more seriously as an artist. And I think there is still like a lot of work <laughs> to be done, yeah. basically. Absolutely. So I've asked everyone to bring along a female artist who isn't as well known because that was the central idea of Indestructible was my frustration that more people didn't know about Lee Miller. So who who have you brought for us, Chloe? Well, I thought a bit about it because it's interesting for me, like my background initially was in primarily photography and film. So Lee Miller is someone I'm very familiar with. And it kind of got me to think about your question in the sense who is maybe known in the art world, but not more broadly recognized by people who aren't as tapped into that world. And uh, I thought about the artist Carrie Mae Weems, who actually just had a love, uh, her. love a show. Her. Just, yeah. yeah, the Barbican this summer. Yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, it's interesting because she she actually talks about being an artist who has pretty much been in all of the museums. But she had an interview with the director, Terence Nance, a few years ago. And she says something like, they may take my ideas, they'll use my ideas, but they will not use me. So it's like the subject matter of her work is very poignant and celebrated. 
and it is showcased in museums, but still somehow her as an artist and as the person behind that work is still not as recognizable as the work itself. And I find that really interesting because I think it's really tapping into also Lee Miller and the, the subject matter of the, the play. So yeah, I think she's a really important artist who's still living uh, and continuing to create really important bodies of work that touch upon very relatable subjects relating to domesticity and everyday life and involving performative and cinematic elements that I think a lot of people can relate to, even if they don't identify with Carrie Mae Weems specifically uh, as an African-American woman. But there are a lot of aspects to her work that I think intentionally are trying to reach a broader range of audience. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't know much about her. I knew a little bit about her until I saw the retrospective at the Barbican and it is... She, her work is extraordinary. And what, as you say, what's this is true, I think, for a lot of female artists of the 20th and 21st centuries, is her practice covers, as you say, it's performative, it's film, it's installation, it's photography, you know, really interesting, broad-ranging way of working, but it's, it's beautiful work. But yeah, she's amazing. I'm so glad you brought her along. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks ever so much, Chloe, for coming and talking to us. And thank you as well for advising us on the, on the script. Of course, of course. <laughs> and, uh, thank you. Oh, no, it's brilliant. Thanks for coming. See you soon. That's it for this edition of Indestructible, the podcast. I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus. Thanks again for joining us. I look forward to your company next time. If you like what you've heard, please share, subscribe, leave a five-star review. It really helps us reach other listeners. Thanks for coming with us on this journey. You can listen to this podcast anytime, anywhere you get your podcasts.